This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. Good morning, church. As our kids are making their way out, if you'd like to open your copy of God's Word, uh, we will be starting by looking in the Old Testament at Psalm 110. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Psalm 110, verse 1 begins, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power, in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your mouth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And then our scripture reading uh, from Hebrews today in the New Testament, which is where our sermon will come from, we'll begin reading in chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 4. Again, that's chapter 1 of Hebrews. We'll be beginning in verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning. It's a, it's a great morning it's receiving new members, seeing uh, children baptized, and now we get to come to the word of God. Uh, continuing our series in the book of Hebrews, 
We'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. But before we do that, let's just take a moment and let's ask God for guidance. Heavenly Father, as we gather in your house, as we gather under your word, we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would come and quicken, that you would convict, that you would empower, and that you would comfort each and every one of us. Lord, we're thankful for the good news, the good news of Jesus, the good news of his coming, the good news of his dying for our sins, the good news of his resurrection and his ascension, the fact that right now he is in heaven making intercession for us. So we know we can come boldly, Lord, to you. We can come boldly as your children and we can ask and petition on the behalf of your church here at First Prize that you would minister to us, that you would meet our needs, that you would comfort us, that you would strengthen us, Lord. There are many in our midst that are struggling physically. There are many, Lord, that are struggling emotionally with doubts and, and worries and fears. And Lord, there are many that are struggling spiritually with besetting sin. And so God, we pray that you would minister to us in this hour, that you would use your word to sharpen us, to change us, transform us, Lord, more and more into the image of Christ, your Son, our Savior. Thank you for your work here amongst your people. Thank you, Lord, for building your church. Thank you, Lord, for these little ones and the great responsibility that comes with it in entrusting those children to us. God, help us to be faithful. Lord, I pray that you would use us, use us in this world, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our homes. Help us, Lord, to be your ambassadors. Help us to reflect the true joy of those who have been touched by the redemption of Christ. May our, may our lives show the joy and the, and the happiness that truly comes when one is walking with Christ. We pray these things now, Lord, asking you to do even better than we know how to ask. I pray, Lord, for myself, that you would use me as your vessel, Lord, that I would not say anything more nor less than you've given me to say but that I would be faithful to your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. You know, growing up, television had a lot, a lot to say about angels. Television did. In fact, I say that television has a whole theology of angels. In the 80s, there was a show called Highway to Heaven. I want to ask you to raise your hand if you remember it, but I know there's a lot of us in this room that do. It starred... Michael Landon, who had been in, by that time, Hollywood for quite a while. He played, in, played a character by the name of Jonathan, who was an angel who was on probation. And this angel was sent to help people in need, and that's how he was working his way out of probation. But what's interesting is the way they referenced God in that show. They called God Boss, the Boss. As a young man who grew up in church and a young man who was taught in Sunday school, I knew something just wasn't quite right. Something was missing from the show. As I got older and began to analyze the theology of Hollywood concerning angels, it was very apparent that they were talking about 
heavenly things, but they miss Jesus. They miss the gospel. For Jesus and the gospel were lost in the background of all the noise. In the early 1990s and 2000s, a new show had appeared. It was called Touched by an Angel. In this show, the angels were tasked with bringing messages from God to people who were at the crossroads of life. But again, Jesus, the Savior, and the gospel were lost in the background. Even in music, songs like Angels Among Us by a band called Alabama talks of an angel who guides a boy home one cold, dark night. And yet, when you listen to the song and you search the words, there is no mention of Christ and his work. It's absent. In fact, one of the most popular Christmas movies of all time, my personal favorite, It's a Wonderful Life, is about an angel who is in the pursuit of earning his wings. A Clarence, the angel, is seeking to get his wings by helping George Bailey see what life would be like if he had never existed. Surely that 1946 classic wouldn't make the same mistake. But it did. Even in my favorite Christmas movie of all time, sadly, there is no mention of Jesus or the gospel. They're absent. You want the raw truth this morning? The works of angels and spirits outsell any other theological book of our time. People are curious. People are wondering. People want to know about the spiritual world. There's a hungering, and they pursue the study of angels. One may say, well, Aaron, why are you bringing all this up? Church, because if we're not careful, we, like the very people to whom the writer of Hebrews is writing, that church, we can begin to lift angels too high and make Jesus too low. We can begin to view Jesus as just some other ministering spirit. Some angel who helps us in our need. See, we can end up missing the very important point that Jesus is truly the Son of God. We can miss the point that Jesus willingly humbled himself, that Jesus came and took on human flesh, that Jesus came with the very intention of saving sinners like us. Church, I ask you, which of the angels can do that? None. None. Only Christ. And therefore, as you look at our text in Hebrews chapter 1, looking specifically even at verse 4, we read this. having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus, more superior than angels. Why? According to the writer of Hebrews, because of his name. That sounds a little odd to us. But see, in our culture, names don't really matter. You just pick something cute. Something nice. But back in the Bible times, names did matter. Names were used to state a character or a nature of someone or something. Names matter. 
In the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 1, we read, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Names matter. And here in our text, we're told that Jesus is superior because of his name. Family names are important. I want you to think about that for a moment. Family names are important. My dad used to say to us four boys, he used to say, it takes a lifetime to make a good name. It only takes a few seconds to destroy it. Many of you are shaking your head. Your dad or mom or someone in your family said the very same thing. See, growing up, we were constantly reminded that the name we share didn't simply belong to us. It's a name we inherited. It's a name that we were given, and we were to honor it. The writer of Hebrews points out that Jesus' name is more excellent. That Jesus' name is way more superior than the angels' names. See, the basic reason is Jesus is superior because of his name, the name he inherited. Now, some of us, we hear the word inherited, and we begin to let our minds go, and we begin to think, well, that's a passive thing. If you inherit something, you didn't do anything to earn it. In fact, a lot of people have inherited things and actually wasted it because they didn't earn it. They didn't have anything to understand how to care for their inheritance. But Pastor Rick Phillips helps us here. He reminds us that in ancient Rome, when this would have been written, when a son finally came to age, his father would then give him the approval by holding a ceremony. The father would look at the course of his life, his education, his, his pedigree, his, his experience, his, his habits. And before instilling that inheritance to him, he would therefore receive his father's blessing at a ceremony, and he would then receive his family name, and with it, the inheritance. Why am I saying that? Because it's important when we read that Jesus inherited his name, it's not simply that Jesus was passive. It's important that we understand that Jesus came and did the Father's will. He took on human flesh. He covered himself in human flesh. He experienced our struggles, and yet he did all of this in facing all of our temptations, and he never sinned. Why? So that he could go to the cross and die for our sins. Jesus did this in obedience. He took a position, according to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7, a position lower than the angels. Why did he do this? For his Father's glory. But it's interesting, Jesus didn't stay in the grave, did he? We're told that on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection power of Christ is declaring God's blessing upon him. The empty tomb is the ceremony which the Father blesses his Son. Listen to Paul write in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, when he says, He, referring to Jesus, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness, hear this, by his resurrection. His resurrection was, in fact, the ceremony to which he was honored, and his inheritance was given to him. And do you know who his inheritance is? The church. The church. See, we need to understand that Jesus, his name is powerful. 
In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we read this, For there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. Jesus is the name. Jesus is the one who came and lived and died in full obedience of the Father's will and proved his acceptance in his resurrection. The book of Proverbs is interesting here. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. The name, the name of God, the name of Christ, no other name by which we can be saved. There is no other hope other than Jesus. And what is the writer of Hebrews' purpose? To say, get this, Jesus is more excellent than angels. Don't lower Jesus down. Don't treat him as some other created thing. Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. It's exactly the important point that the writer of Hebrews makes. Jesus' position, Jesus' inheritance. He is the Son of God. Look at verse 5. You are my son. He goes on to say, I will be to him a father. Also in verse 5, he says, to which of the angels did he ever say such things? He didn't. Only to Christ. See, this is a quote from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. He is a son. He's my son. This is an important point because you're going to see that this little chapter is just filled with references to the Psalms. The writer of Hebrews wants to make sure that we understand the same God in the Old Testament is the very God that Jesus is. Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, describes a victorious reigning Lord, God's Son, it's an Old Testament pointing forward to the resurrection celebration, the victory over death. This is why at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his father says, you are my beloved son, in whom am I well pleased. No angel has been called God's son. This name is attached to Jesus and Jesus alone. But even more, defining the intentionality of this relationship, he quotes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, saying, in the Davidic covenant, I will be a father to him. We understand that reference to Solomon, David's natural by birth son. But understand this, that Jesus, who also comes from the line of David, is the one who sits on the throne forever. He was the full, full understanding of that promise. The writer of Hebrews seeks to set the record straight. Jesus, as God, is far superior to angels. Don't you dare lower him. To do that is to sin against Christ. It is a sin to lower Christ to the state of mere messengers. Jesus is far more glorious than the angels. Jesus has title and position. Jesus has an inheritance. Jesus deserves all honor. Church, I ask you this morning as you're sitting in the pew and as you're working through Hebrews with me, don't just look at this as some 
message for other people, but literally ask yourself this morning, how am I honoring Christ's name? How am I honoring Christ's name in my line of work? How am I honoring Christ's name in in the way I care for my family? How am I honoring Christ's name in the way I operate within the life of the church? How am I honoring Christ's name? Am I making sure that Christ is honored above all else in my life? That there are no other little things that get in place of Christ. That Christ is supreme. See, that's the point of the writer of Hebrews. Christ is supreme. Is Christ supreme for you? See, the writer begins to compare and contrast Jesus to these angels. The angels are actually called ministering spirits there in verse 14. That's what they are, they're ministering spirits. But back in chapter, or chapter 1, verse 6, we see that these angels are actually called to worship the Lord. Look at verse 6. Let all God's angels worship him. Shows his superiority, shows his place of honor. He is to be worshipped by the angels. Again, this is Psalm 97, verse 7, that actually is being reiterated here in Hebrews 1, 6. Worship him, all ye gods. Gods there is a lowercase g. It's a picture of the heavenly beings and that they're ultimately to worship him because he is greater. He is superior. There's a picture of this in the Old Testament. We're given a, a glimmer of the worship of the angels in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 2 and 3 read this way. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's a picture of a heavenly scene of worship. One of the things that's magnificent is to see that this scene is still taking place in the New Testament. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, we read of the same scene, an eternal scene of the worship of angels of God. Because God is far superior Jesus, being God, is far superior. Listen to what the writer of of Revelation 4, verses 6 through 8 says. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, were four living creatures, full of eyes, in front and behind The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. The worship of the angels of God never stops. You know, when we worship here, we break into that. And every once in a while, you experience it in a unique way, and you just kind of sit in awe and like, wow, this is amazing. But the worship of God never stops because God is far superior, and the angels realize it, and they worship him 
day and night, their eyes fixed upon the glory of God. What does that say about us? What does it say about our worship? We're quickly looking at times and trying to figure out when we can squeeze a little worship in. One of the most beautiful pictures is the Christmas hymns we sing. Christmas hymns that talk about the incarnation, God taking on human flesh in, in the person and work of Jesus. One of those famous ones is Hark the uh, Herald Angels Sing. And we, we get this line in verse 1. It says, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Look at what they're singing about. The mission of Jesus. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim. Join in the singing with the angels are saying. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. You know, we need to sing more Christmas songs outside of Christmas because of the theology that's so rich. You see here the call to join the singing of the angels as they worship Christ. The angels sing about the glory of God. And in get this, they actually seek to do his will. It's not just lip service. It's their whole lives are consumed with the glory of God. Look at verse 7. For the angels are his winds, his ministers, flames of fire. They're going about doing whatever it is he would have them do. They seek to make his glory known. The angels do the Son's will. It shows that they are submissive to the one who is superior. Not only do they worship him with their tongues, but they actually praise him with their actions. Church, the angels are far inferior to Christ. They know this. They sing the praises of his name. They seek to do his will. I ask you this morning, are you singing the praises of Christ? Church, are you truly seeking to do his will above all things? Don't just write off those questions. Ponder them. What does your worship of Christ look like? Do you truly wish to sing his praises? The angels do. They seek to do his will above all things. See, because the angels understand that Jesus is greater. He's greater, the Hebrew writer continues, because of his divine sonship. Look what he says in verse 8. In verse 8 he says, But of the Son he says, Your throne, O God, your throne is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. Notice the heavenly position of the Son, his throne. Again, this is a reference to Psalm, Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. The fact is that Jesus reigns. He's actually been anointed by God. He is the chosen one for this mission and for this honor and position. Verse 10 goes on to describe his work. It says, And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the very beginning. He's the creator. 
And now the writer of Hebrews jumps to Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. Everything that is applied to God, the creator of the Old Testament, is now being applied to Jesus. He's the creator. In verses 11 and 12, he says, They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like garments, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Church, don't miss that. This talks of the fact that Jesus, just as God, because he is God, is eternal. Just as God, because he is God, is unchangeable. Jesus is immutable, is the term theologically. The beautiful picture of who Christ is and why he should be worshipped and why he should be served and, and why the angels worship him and are singing of him right now. But if that weren't enough, we come, we come to verse 13. And to which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I mean, do you ever think about it? That the angels in heaven never sit down in honor of Christ. They, they never take a moment off. The picture is they're flying around and they're worshiping him. The picture is that they're constantly doing his service and, and honoring him. They're not sitting down because, as we learned last week, the place of the right hand of sitting down is the idea that their work is finished, and for Jesus it is. He's accomplished his work, his work of redemption, his work of salvation. And he sits there at the Father's right hand making intercession for us. It shows his position, his title, his reign. In Psalm 110, which the writer of Hebrews is now referring to, he says, I will make your enemies your footstool. You will be victorious. To which of any of the angels was that ever said? None of them. But it's said of God, Son, Jesus Christ. He is far superior. He is worthy of praise and honor because Jesus is unique. Jesus is God himself, and therefore the angels worship him, and so should we. Verse 14 tells us that these angels are simply, in contrast to this greatness of Christ, they're simply ministering spirits. That's what they are. They're created beings. They're servants of Christ. They serve God. In Psalm 103, verse 20, it says... The angels are the mighty ones doing his word. In Mark chapter 1, verse 13, it says, angels ministered to our Lord. They did this for his 40 days in the wilderness. They came and they ministered to him. They served God. In Mark chapter 8, verse 38, we're told that the angels will accompany Jesus at his return. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 49, we are told that the angels will be there and they will help separate the believers from the unbelievers, doing the will of God. They serve God. They honor God. They serve Christ. One of the most interesting things is that they not only serve Christ, but they serve Christ's bride. They serve Christ's people. And they serve and care for us, his church. His church. 
There's a flavor of different passages. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10 talks about angels appearing to care for children. We need to be careful how far we carry that, as some like to run with guardian angels and such. But listen to what it says in Matthew 18, verse 10. Don't despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels, notice that, their angels always see the face of my Father. God protects his children. In Luke chapter 15, verse 10, we're told that the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents. It says there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. How about Luke chapter 16, verse 22, where we're told that the angels carried the poor man, Lazarus, who died. They carried him to be by Abraham's side. It was a picture of care for the dead saints, those who die in Christ. We don't know, but surely it was true for Lazarus. The most beautiful thing is that God, in his sovereignty, he uses his angels, his ministers, for his glory, but also for the care of his people. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. What love God has for us. And this forces the angels to stand back and take awe. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you, though those who preach the, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, listen to this, Things into which the angels long to look. They're amazed at redemption. Redemption isn't something the angels understand because when the angels fell with Satan, there was no redemption. These ministering spirits are amazed to see that God himself took on human flesh to go and to die for sinners. And they praise him for it. But what about us, do we? Are we truly in awe like the angels of the redemption purchased for us through Christ? Christ is far superior to the angels. And yet many of us, we worship angels or we lower Jesus down to the level of an angel. Church, this is important that we understand that Jesus is far superior. It's in Jesus we should trust. It's in Jesus whom alone is our salvation. So I ask you this morning... Are you rejoicing in the Savior, Christ? Do you truly understand that he is far superior to anything else you could worship in this life? Church, Jesus is not just some ministering spirit. Jesus is not one of many. Jesus is the one and only. He is the one and only King of kings. He is the one and only Lord of lords. As we've seen through these many Old Testament psalms and many New Testament passages, Jesus is greater than all of the angels. And Jesus, therefore, should be worshipped in his superiority. So before you leave, as you sit here in your pews, as you take a moment to contemplate, ask yourselves, how am I honoring Jesus? Am I honoring him rightly as he's entitled to be worshipped? 
Am I worshiping him with everything that he is due? For he is my savior. He is my king. He is God. Church, Jesus is far superior. And the angels know it. But do you? Psalm 97.9 says, For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are excellent, far above all gods. May we come and worship the King, for He is worthy. He is the Son of God. Let's pray. Church, as we shut our Bibles, may our eyes be fixed on heaven and the glory of the worship service that is there. God, as we now offer up our prayer, help us to worship you properly. May our eyes be fixed upon the glory of Christ. May we seek to honor his name, for he is far superior. Thank you for the love and the salvation you provide. May our hearts be filled with joy for all that you have done. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan.